Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Yeah, the big difference this time, says Bernie, is this time we're going to win. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Here we go on Wednesday, Wednesday, February 20. The Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our studio on Capitol Hill, where we join you everywhere in this great land of ours, everywhere around the planet, online, on the radio, on television, with the news of the day, uh, most of it's still centered on um, what's going on here in Washington. Yet another lawsuit yesterday filed against Donald Trump's emergency declaration. He, in turn, retaliated against California by demanding a billion dollars back that had been allocated to California to build their high-speed rail. California is still building the high-speed rail. They have just downsized the project from uh, all the way from Sacramento to Los Angeles for the time being to a Central Valley route. Nevertheless, Donald Trump says we want our money back. Uh, Meanwhile, an explosive report in the New York Times, uh, evidence of yet again um, an instance where Donald Trump has tried to obstruct justice by putting one of his cronies in charge of an investigation into his hush money payments to Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, Donald Trump, of course, denies it. And Bernie Sanders shaking up the 2020 field. He's not the last one in. In fact, we'll talk to uh, Andrew Yang today, who is himself a candidate for Democratic for the Democratic nomination for president, joining us in studio. So we got lots to get to. We'll jump right into it, but I uh, want to remind you, your comments, a big part of the program. Let us hear from you on Twitter. At BP Show, at BP Show. But first, this yes, is yes, the yes. Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just come over the stories, making news. Bill, you know I love Dolly Parton. Oh, don't we? Who all? doesn't? Who doesn't? Right? right. Dolly Parton is the best. Well, you know she's been married uh, to her husband Carl Dean for fifty-three years, uh, and she just gave an interview to Good Morning Britain where she was talking about the secret 
to such a successful, happy, long marriage. And she said, he's not a big fan of her music and he doesn't listen to it. (laughs) You would think she's one of the biggest singers of all time that he would at least, you know, like, nope. She says, no, he just doesn't like it. He's not, quote, he's not necessarily one of the biggest fans of my music, end quote. But she went on to say, he's proud of me and he loves me and he loves that I love doing what I do. What's he do? I wonder. He's just behind the scenes. I think he's just like a kept man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's married to Dolly Parton. Yeah. He could be a dentist. You never yeah. know, right? Who knows? Right. Who knows? Okay. Uh, but that's his, you know, that, that's the secret. He just. All right. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, let's go to Arizona. Holy cow, this this story is kind of nuts because there is a new proposed bill, Senate Bill 1475, proposed by State Senator David Livingston, a Republican, saying that all residents of Arizona must submit their DNA to the state. What? So, you know, they, they people always push for, you know, getting fingerprinted yeah, and all yeah. that so they can keep up with you. He says the times have changed and uh, fingerprints aren't enough anymore. They want your DNA. They're coming for your DNA. Oh, man. Oh, and they man. want you to give it to the state. Yeah. And yeah. you have to pay $250 for a DNA test uh, to this, give it to the state. This is not going very far. It's terrifying. Yeah. I, don't, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen. But, like, who thinks that's a good idea? You know, Barbie is still a thing, by the way. Really? Barbie is still a thing. Yeah, Mattel just announced that they are launching some new Barbies. You know, they had, like, you know, different iterations of Barbie. There's just regular Barbie, and they have, like, career-type Barbies. Well, there will be two new Barbies coming out this year. Uh, Astrophysicist Barbie and (laughs) Astronaut Barbie, both coming out this year in 2019. Astrophysicist? Yeah. That's a little bit of a stretch. I can see astronaut, but... Sure. Not that there's anything wrong with being an astrophysicist. I'm just not sure it's all that sexy for little girls to buy those dolls. But anyhow, all right. This is the Bill Press Show. Did Donald Trump obstruct justice yet again, this time with the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York? According to the New York Times and several sources, yes, indeed, he did. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Happy Wednesday. It is Wednesday, February 20. And here we are, the Bill Press Show. That's what you're looking for. You're in the right place. Uh, if you just happen to catch up uh, with us and just by accident, stay around. We've got lots to talk about. We'll tell you what's going on in the news of the day, on the political front particularly. All across this great land of ours, we join you. In fact, all around the globe, we join you online, on the radio, on television, with the news of the day, and look forward to hearing from you what you think about it all. Remember, you can you can join us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, where you will also sign up for our podcast. Go to BillPressShow.com, listen to the podcast every day. Uh, the parts of the show that you might have missed or other previous shows you might have missed and whatever else we put up for the weekend, uh, sign up at BillPressShow.com. Be sure to give us a little rating so we know what you think about what we're we're doing. Uh, At the same time, we join you on television, coast to coast on the great free speech TV, the heart of the resistance nationwide, part of the DirecTV network, and uh, can't leave you out on the radio, and we don't intend to at all. Joining you statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and 
Chicago. Boy, you're probably uh, getting the the snow already out there that we are just starting to get here in Washington, D.C. This morning just started snowing when I was walking over to the studio this morning. Supposed to get uh, maybe four to six inches today in Washington, D.C. Anyhow, out in Chicago. Hello, Chicago. Hello, all the area around all those great communities around Chicago. Good to have you with us today, however you are joining us with. Again, lots and lots to uh, talk about. Bernie Sanders shaking it up yesterday with a dramatic uh, announcement and response on the part of uh, Bernie supporters nationwide. Yes, indeed, the New York Times uh, lead story this morning reporting on yet another example of obstruction of justice on the part of Donald Trump. And Andrew McCabe, on his book tour, uh, keeps making a remarkable um, assertions about concerns at the Justice Department over the behavior and the mental capacity of Donald Trump, leading even to the discussion about invoking the 25th Amendment. Wow, wow. Where do we start? Let's start with Bernie again today. He announced it just 24 hours ago. Remember, he went on Vermont Public Radio and uh, told the people of Vermont that he wanted them to know, yes, he was going to run for president again, went on with John Dickerson on the CBS Morning News yesterday to make the same call, and since then he's been all over the media. I just saw he's going to be on Morning Joe uh, this morning. Um, And uh, Bernie said yesterday, uh, first of all, that um, here is... uh, and in this, this is in the videotape that he released announcing uh, his candidacy second time around. Uh, here is the man that he uh, that is now in the Oval Office and Bernie says we've got to get rid of. We are running against a president who is a pathological liar, a fraud, a racist, a sexist, a xenophobe, and someone who is undermining American democracy as he leads us in an authoritarian direction. Uh, that sort of sums it up about Donald Trump as well as about as well as anybody could do. Uh, and Bernie says, as a candidate, here are my goals. Our campaign is about transforming our country and creating a government based on the principles of economic, social, racial, and environmental justice. Yes, indeed. And, you know, you've got to admit that Bernie starts out with huge advantages over any other candidate. We didn't talk that much about this yesterday, but um, you, you, can't, you can't deny. I mean, there are, a lot of, there are other progressives running. We'll talk, we talked about that. Bernie but does not have the field to himself. But he starts out way ahead of the game because, number one, he's done it before. That counts for something. He knows the ropes. He's got a team around him who have been around this racetrack before. That that counts for something, that experience. Secondly, he's got a built-in base of supporters, a huge database, a huge donor base, a huge mailing list that everybody else has got to try to build up. Bernie's got it, boom, built in. Um, and by the way, we saw that reflected yesterday in the first 12 hours, he pulled in $4 million. It was like a million in the first hour, uh, from his donors who are already out there just waiting for Bernie to say, I'm in. Well, that was sort of the big question, right? Does Bernie still have the juice? Yeah. You know, does he still have it on a national level, uh, where people think, 
he could still be a viable candidate. He could still make the splash that he made in 2016. I think that question was answered yesterday. The question was answered yesterday. So he's got that. And, and, and again, it's not that Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris or Kirsten Gillibrand, they, they can't they can't build a base like that. You know, they can. They're certainly going to try. Bernie's got it from day one. Uh, and, and, you know, the other advantage is um, it's his message. He's the he's the guy who raised the message. Base th- certainly three things: Medicare for all, minimum fifteen dollar minimum wage, and free college tuition for every American kid. Uh, those are the those are that's Bernie's songbook. He was considered to be that well the outsider, right? Radical outsider in 2016. Today, everybody's singing from the same songbook, but he's the one who wrote it. Uh, and so, you know, he's the real thing. He's the authentic progressive uh, author of this to, to, of today's progressive agenda, and that means a lot for him. So, with all those advantages, Bernie, you got you got to admit, I think starts out as the front runner. He was the outsider in 2016. This time around, he is the front runner. Again, the the other reality though is that this time he doesn't have the field by himself. This time, the the issue. This is going to be a different kind of campaign than we saw in 2016 between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. You know, and then the issue was, what are the right, the, the question was, what are the right issues for Democrats to run on? And Bernie was putting off for the progressive agenda and Hillary more the establishment uh, Democratic. Well, we can't go that far. We got to be careful. We got to be realistic. We can't overpromise. Dun, 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 dun. Not $15, maybe just $12. Not Medicare for all, maybe just people who are 55, you know, boom, boom, boom. That was the difference. This time, if everybody's right together on the issues, which for the most part they will be, there may be some variations in a theme about how far you go with Medicare for all. The differences are not going to be over the issues. The differences are going to be who can deliver the message, who can beat Donald Trump. And that's what Bernie's going to have to prove. I can do it. Elizabeth Warren can't, or I have a better chance of doing it than Kamala Harris. I have a better chance than Pete Buttigieg or anybody else. Uh, and that's that's the choice that Democrats face. But they got a lot of cho- <laughs> no, I have a lot of choices to make. One thing Bernie said yesterday to John Dickerson: uh, there's going to be a big difference. He said between um, 2016 and 2020. So Senator Sanders, you're going to run for president. I am going to run for president. That's correct. What's going to be different this time? We're going to win. Yeah, there it is. Sum it up, right? Good for Bernie. And I love this. He was asked about somebody else who's running we thought was going to run as a Democrat. Turns out he's going to run as an independent, he says. Of course, we're talking about Howard Schultz, the former CEO of Starbucks. Bernie nails him. Howard Schultz has now said he would not run as an independent if the Democrats moderate, uh, nominate oh, a moderate. isn't that nice. Why is Howard Schultz on every television station in this country? Why are you quoting Howard Schultz? Because he's a billionaire. All right. There are a lot of people I know personally who work hard for a living, who make forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year, who know a lot more about politics than in all due respect does Mr. Schultz. Boom. Look, man, I don't know who I'm going to vote for in the primary, truly, but anybody who drags Howard Schultz publicly like that, it goes pretty far for me, man. Yeah, yeah, no, Uh, absolutely. I thought Bernie uh, absolutely nailed it. 
Uh, among those progressives who is going to be challenging um, Bernie Sanders uh, is a young man by the name of Andrew Yang. He is an economist. Uh, he's the founder of Venture for America, a group uh, formed to help uh, young entrepreneurs get started in the business world. Uh, Andrew Yang joins us in studio just about 15 minutes from now uh, with a progressive agenda for 2020, which I dare say may be even more progressive than Bernie Sanders himself. Um, uh, Andrew Yang, who is his goal is he's not he's a de declared candidate. And of course, his goal now is to get enough uh, public support uh, in terms of donors and a name ID to make it on that big debate stage in June. He'll tell us all about it. Uh, coming up just in about 15 minutes here uh, in studio. Meanwhile, obstruction of justice. Boy, we've heard that before, haven't we? Well, it has reared its ugly head again. Uh, before, remember, obstruction of justice uh, is something that Andrew McCabe's been talking about uh, that certainly maybe for the first time we saw when Donald Trump fired James Comey and told others, Lester Holt, and told the Russian ambassador uh, he had fired James Comey because Comey refused to terminate the investigation into Donald Trump's um, possible collusion with the Russians. Hasn't been proven yet, but still investigating. Uh, and then when he fires James Comey, they added the investigation into possible obstruction of justice. That's here with the Mueller investigation. The New York Times yesterday indicating that there was another case of obstruction of justice up in the Southern District of New York, or SDNY, as we learned yesterday, they call it in law enforcement circles. Um, the president, remember, fired Preet Bahara, who was um, looking into uh, Trump activities, particularly the Trump business empire, and he appointed a guy named Jeffrey Berman, his guy. Uh, then Robert Mueller turned over to the U.S. attorney in New York to the SDNY, headed by now Jeffrey Berman, appointed by Donald Trump. You've got to follow this. Uh, and Robert Mueller said, hey, this Stormy Daniels stuff, this Karen McDougal stuff, this hush money, you know, we got bigger fish to fry or other fish to fry, certainly. How about if you guys, the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York, you take this on? And they did. And at that point, Jeffrey Berman, who was appointed by Donald Trump, he pulled a Jeff Sessions. He said, you know, um, I was appointed by Donald Trump, and this is an investigation of Donald Trump. I'm going to recuse myself, which he did. Then uh, Donald Trump fires Jeff Sessions, appoints Matt Whitaker, his buddy, his clone, his crony, as uh, acting attorney general. And what's the first thing he does? He called, again, according to several sources in the New York Times, he calls up Matt Whitaker. He, the president, calls up Matt Whitaker and says, hey, can you get Berman to take over this investigation into the hush money payments? Berman, who has already recused himself. And Matt Whitaker didn't say no, Mr. President, but he didn't say yes, Mr. President. He just didn't do anything about it. But that is clear, again, obstruction of justice, trying to interfere with, change the direction of, maybe even squash an investigation into the president himself and the president trying to uh, derail it. Uh, it. Again, 
front page New York Times today. Uh, Donald Trump was asked about it yesterday um, in the uh, Oval Office. He denies having anything to do with it. Do you ask uh, Acting Attorney General Matthew Whitaker to change the leadership of the investigation into your former personal attorney, Michael Cohen? No, not at all. I don't know who gave you that. That's more fake news. A lot of there's a lot of fake there's a lot of fake news out there. No, I didn't. Uh, yeah, predictable answer. Yeah, no, no, no. Who gave you that? Well, I'll tell you who gave you that. Uh, several sources in law enforcement, uh, and Matt Whitaker hasn't denied it. Um, so this came up yesterday afternoon on a person we turn to more and more. <laughs> believe it or not, on Fox News. So Shep Smith has their legal uh, counsel, their legal um, commentator, uh, Andrew Napolitano, uh, who's been very critical of Donald Trump lately. You know why? Because he's just been applying the law. Look, the law is the, the law. law. The law yeah. is the law. Right. <laughs> so uh, Shep asked Napolitano. Uh, he lays, pardon me, lays out what happened and asked Napolitano what it all means. That phone call, you said that's evident of corrupt intent. On the part of the president, because he's making a... a would that be obstruction? Yes. It, well, it would be attempted obstruction. It would only be obstruction if it succeeded. But if you try to interfere with a criminal prosecution that may mm-hmm. knock at your own door by putting your ally in there, that is clearly attempt, an attempt to obstruct justice. Yes. Uh, and I think one difference... Napolitano really lays it out. One difference, I think, in this time around from uh, if this had come up um, before the first of the year or before last November, uh, you can bet that Adam Schiff or Jerry Nadler or uh, one of the House committees is going to be calling Whitaker back and calling maybe Mr. Bergman back to find out exactly what went on up in, uh, in New York and if this was an attempt to obstruct justice. As part of its investigation, in addition to Robert Mueller's investigation. That's pretty, very, very serious charge. It's, I mean, it's blatant. It's stupid. Like, Donald Trump, I think, just views the Justice Department as sort of like his playthings. Totally. You know, like he has an army of people out there ready to defend him. Any idea that the Justice Department, which has always been the most independent of the federal agencies and acted independent because their their mission is to uh, enforce the law, not to serve as the president's caddy, basically. Uh, it's destroyed destroy with Donald Trump. He just sees them as like the person when he rings the pushes the button that brings him a Diet Coke. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's what he considers the Justice Department. Yeah. Same, same category. Um, and uh, speaking of the Justice Department, Andrew McCabe is still out on the uh, book tour. We talked about it yesterday. Uh, McCabe, who has said, in, says in his new book, which came out yesterday, the threat that, uh, again, the after the firing of James Comey, the leadership of the Justice Department, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, and Andy McCabe, acting director of the FBI, uh, that Rosenstein was so concerned about Trump's action in firing James Comey, what it meant uh, about his mental capacity, about the fact that Donald Trump might actually be uh, helping the Russians against the interests of the United States, that they discussed on more than one occasion, on at least twice, 
the possibility of invoking the 25th Amendment and wearing a wire when Rosenstein went in to see the President of the United States the next time uh, in the Oval Office. Donald Trump, of course, um, denounced that yesterday in a whole series of tweets. He keeps tweeting about it, um, that this is n- nothing less than a coup. Uh, the fact and- that the- Here's Andrew McCabe. The fact that the president uses the word coup or uses language in his tweets that aren't true, that are blatantly false, is not, should not be surprising to us. The president has been lying about me and my family for the last two years. So when I see tweets like this, um, it's kind of sad to say, but we've become kind of used to it by now. Uh, yes, Donald Trump calling it a coup. Isn't it uh, interesting? It's a pure coincidence that Lindsey Graham, the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, also calls it a coup. Yeah, getting his talking points now from Donald Trump, uh, of course. Uh, I haven't seen McCabe's book yet, by the way, but, um, okay, I'm sure I'm the only person here that remembers the old show, Dragnet. Jack Jack Webb. Jack Webb, yeah. Jack Webb. Absolutely. And I'm telling you, I was just a little kid, but when Dragnet was on, Everybody in America was watching it. And you could walk down the streets of any city in America and you would hear, dun, da dun, That's dun, right, exactly. the opening of it, I right? used to watch the reruns when I was a kid. Dun, da, 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 da. One of the best theme songs in TV oh, history. Total. Okay. I want to read you the first line of Andrew McCabe's book, okay? If this is not right out of Dragnet. All right. Here it is. The first line of Andrew McCabe's book, Between the World of Chaos... And the world of order stands the rule of law. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that perfect? Yes. Oh, yes. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) And I got to tell you, when you see McCabe on television, man, if you you went to Central Casting and said, I want a straight shooter, law enforcement, take no prisoners, badass prosecutor... You get Andrew McCabe, right? He he looks the role, and I yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's it's really interesting. I mean, look, aside from the 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 scummy parts of uh, James Comey and what he did, uh, these guys are just hardened uh, law people, right? Like it's it, above all else, right? And um, the fact that they're that Donald Trump is picking a fight with them, oh yeah, is not smart. Mm-mm. Uh, by the way, a couple of other things that uh, uh, Andrew McCabe yesterday, last night on um, Anderson Cooper, A360, uh, uh, Anderson asked him, do you still believe that uh, Donald Trump could be a Russian asset? And he said, yeah, it's possible. I mean, again, this is just unbelievable that 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 the president suspected by our top law enforcement people of working for the Russians against the United States to the point that they would care, call consider him a Russian uh, asset. And I remind you that Andrew McCabe, uh, yesterday we played this clip, uh, Andrew McCabe said he actually did brief, he told uh, Samantha Guth- Guthrie on um, um, uh, NBC. NBC Today, NBC, Today Show, yeah. The, the Today Show yesterday, that he briefed the group of eight now, the group of eight in the, in, the, in the Congress are the two Democratic leaders in the House, the two, the, two, the two leaders of the House, the political leaders, 
the two leaders in the um, in the Senate, and the chair and the ranking member of the Intelligence Committee in the House and in the Senate. So these are the the top intelligence officials, if you will, of the Congress. He briefed them that the FBI had started a counterintelligence investigation into the alleged Russian ties between the uh, ties between the re- president of the United States and Russia, a counterintelligence investigation of President Donald Trump, and not one of the eight had any objection to it. It basically said, you've got good grounds to go forward. Godspeed. Go ahead with this investigation. Not one of them, not Mr. McConnell at the time, not Paul Ryan, not Nancy Pelosi, not Chuck Schumer, of course. Uh, I forget who the other uh, chair, Richard Burr, who was chair of uh, intelligence, and uh, Devin Nunez, who was chair of intelligence in the House. Uh, not one of them objected to the counterintelligence investigation when it was launched by the FBI after the firing of James Comey. Uh, hugely, hugely significant. Uh, and uh, Donald Trump, meanwhile, moving ahead with his uh, emergency declaration. Um, as we mentioned, the one big lawsuit filed on Monday, uh, Tuesday, by, um, no, it's filed on Monday, by 16 states led by California and California's Attorney General Javier Becerra. Uh, but Donald Trump yesterday telling reporters, um, we're going to be okay in the courts. I think we'll do very well. We have absolute right to do that. I have an absolute right to call national security. We need strong borders. Yeah, we need strong borders, he said, and we're going to build something there. I don't, don't, now Donald Trump says, I don't care what the hell you call it. I could call it a barrier, but I think I don't have to do that so much anymore. We'll call it whatever we want. But the point is that we have to have a stoppage. Oh, yeah. Oh, so we'll call it a barrier. We'll call it a wall. We'll call it a fence. We'll call it steel superstructures. Or we'll call it a stoppage. Uh, but he insists again, I've got the right to do this. I have an absolute right to call national security. We need strong borders. We have to stop drugs and crime and criminals and human trafficking. And we have to stop all of those things that a strong wall will stop. Uh, yeah, he's got the right to, uh, absolute right to do that. That's what he says today. Uh, I remind you, as we pointed out in November 2014, when President Obama was considering the use of an emergency declaration to get protection for the Dreamers. Uh, Donald Trump uh, made a public statement and tweeted out that President Obama uh, was violating the Constitution, that that was not the right of any president, that that power of the purse belonged only to the United States Congress, and not only should the Supreme Court overturn any emergency declaration declared by President Obama, uh, but the but the Congress should impeach Obama for making an emergency declaration. Let me see. Um, That was 2014, November. This is less than five years later. Isn't it amazing (laughs) how, I guess, as they say, where you stand depends on where you sit? (laughs) Now it's Donald Trump making the emergency declaration. By the way, and he said President Obama can't just do this because he doesn't know how to negotiate with Congress. If he can't get what he wants out of Congress, then he can't do an emergency declaration. Yeah. Well, Donald Trump was right then. He is wrong now. Uh, All right. I want to ask, Peter, I want to ask you about something we haven't talked about yet. All right. 
What should we think about Jesse Smollett? Ooh, boy. Boy, I got to tell you. I the hate The more this story. I see about this story, the more I believe, sadly, that uh, he is not a victim. He is uh, somebody who cooked up a little plan to help his career, maybe, uh, and paid these guys to fake an attack against him. Uh, and the interview that he gave with Robin Roberts, boy, he's a good actor. <laughs> yeah, tell you. You he say is a that. good actor, but he pretends to be so shocked that anybody would doubt his word. But uh, it's looking bad. It, it's it's it, a very really, very disturbing story. Is 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 my take on it? I, you, I hate you believe it could happen, right? Well, that's the he's thing. African American. I mean, he's gay. You know, he's out there, and so you could see that he, he could walk in a bar, or he could walk in. So, I mean, people could some. Ugly people, right? Particularly some Trumpers could go after him, but doesn't look like it happened. Here's the thing that that right. really bothers me about all that. I, clearly, he has some issues. Uh, clearly, yeah. Um, could this happen? An attack uh, like the one that he said happened? Yes, absolutely. And these attacks have happened, so it's not yeah. some sort of quantum yeah. leap, no. right? That you know, making Trumpers out to be bad people. Uh, who are capable of this is completely bogus, right? Like, this happens. I will say, the people that have gleefully followed this story, because immediately there was a seed of doubt uh, with his story, Um, and people have been talking about this for probably about a week and a half now and sort of waiting to see how this unraveled, and there there were people who doubted this story immediately. The giddiness among some people on the right uh, over this story being uh, what looks to be uh, made up and falsified is really gross. It's really gross. Um, look, he screwed up, right? Like this is a, this was bad and this was wrong, and he he's probably going to get punished for it for falsifying a story, right? And yeah. and he should, right? And now that the police want to talk to him again, and he's not going, he's he's not yeah. volunteered to go back in again, makes right. it look even worse. I, I you're right, like. I, I hate the story, but you almost can't ignore it, right? It's hard point. to ignore. Yeah, um, and you know th- there were th- there were people who immediately doubted him, and there were people who immediately said, you know, this is a modern day lynching, In- including and, yeah, presidential candidates, including presidential candidates. So got to be careful, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hate I hate the story. Right. I hate the story. Uh, here's another story uh, I don't like. Uh, CNN has a new political editor today. Oh, yeah. CNN. Oh, man. So to guide their help guide, help guide, and she's not in charge, but to help guide uh, their coverage of the 2020 elections, CNN yesterday announced that they had hired uh, the person who just left a job as the spokesperson for Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Her name is Sarah Flores. Uh, she has zero journalism experience. She's a political hack, basically, uh, a public relations uh, person who is, again, the press spokesman for Attorney General Jeff Sessions. That says a lot. Yeah, if you doubt her conservative credentials, uh, Jeff friggin' Sessions. Yeah, right. Uh, And she now is one of the new political editors at the D.C. Bureau here of CNN. Um, I, by the way, uh, Brian Stelter, who's their media um, reporter, um, chief media reporter on CNN, is the one who uh, kind of broke this story with so many people from CNN 
contacting him saying, what are we doing as a network hiring her? Um, but I would also point out that CNN uh, also hired Mark Short, who was the president's, President Trump's uh, legislative director, hired him as a, as a uh, political commentator, a uh, paid commentator. He uh, quit that job yesterday because he accepted a job as Mike Pence's new chief of staff. Oh, my God. So in between working for Donald Trump and Mike Pence, he gets a paid gig on CNN. You know, it's just it's back to these are not bad people, but these are political operatives who if they want to quote them, right, or or interview them, fine, but to put them on the payroll. The, you know, the, the thing about Sarah Flores in particular is as you mentioned, she has zero journalism background. And she's going to be like a politics editor. She's going to help shape the stories that are told on CNN. Right. And she in has a 2020 campaign long right. history of working for not just Republicans, but like really bad Republicans. And, you know, we saw recently there were massive layoffs um, at BuzzFeed at Huffington, at HuffPost. It's not that there are not a, a lot of other potential candidates. There are journalists out yes. there that could yes. use the work. Right. And who know how to do journalism yeah. as opposed to spinning Republican uh, lies. And I know a lot of them. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Joined shortly by Andrew Yang, a Democratic candidate for president in 2020. Here on the Bill Press Show. It is Wednesday, February 20. Hang in there. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, here we are on this Wednesday, February 20. Good to have you with us as we boom out to you live coast to coast from our studio right here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Joining you, of course, online, on the radio, and on television everywhere in this great land of ours. We are there with you. Appreciate uh, very much your being part of the uh, program. And if you are uh, following uh, 2020 and the Democratic presidential nomination, and who among us is not, uh, and you look at the field of candidates, one that you may know not so much about, but you should, joins us in studio right now. Andrew Yang is a Democratic presidential candidate for 2020 and founder of a group called Venture for America, Joining us in studio, Andrew, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Bill. It's Thanks for braving here. the snow to come Yes, no, nothing can deter uh, a proper candidate. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, first of all, tell us, who who is Andrew Yang? Who are you? What's your background? What do you bring to the table? Yeah, so I spent the last seven years helping hundreds of entrepreneurs in the Midwest and the South create thousands of jobs with Venture for America. I was uh, an honorary appointee in the Obama administration, uh, or as I call it, the good White House. (laughs) And uh, during that time, I I, uh, came face to face with the aftermath of the automation of jobs. And I I believe the reason why Donald Trump is our president today is that we automated away 4 million manufacturing jobs in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and other states. Uh, And so when, when Trump won... Um, I saw there was a direct correlation between the adoption of industrial robots in a voting district and Donald Trump's mm-hmm. victory. Uh, and for whatever reason, no one else was making that case. So I'm a, I'm a problem solver. I'm an entrepreneur uh, who believes in numbers. And so I decided to make this case to the American people that it's not immigrants who are 
causing economic problems throughout the country. It's the fact that technology is uh, pushing our economy to a point where many more Americans are struggling to, to find meaningful work. So have you ever, ever run for office before? Well, again, I was an honorary appointee in the Obama administration, yeah, but, and I created a, a multi-million dollar nonprofit. Um, but I mean, in terms of scratch. putting yourself as a candidate, but this is for my first board for elective office, right? That's right. So uh, you know, I'm sure you get the question all the time. Maybe why didn't you start like a school board or city council or state legislature or yeah, sure, Congress yeah. or uh, you're going for the top, right, right, right from the beginning. Well, a lot of it, Bill, is that I just don't believe we have the time um, because if you buy into technologist projections that we're going to have robot trucks on the highways in five to, t to ten years and being a truck driver is the most common job in 29 states, then we need to push meaningful solutions actually into the real world in that time frame. And so if I messed around and ran for Congress uh, in New York, um, which incidentally is not actually a great uh, place to even make this case because uh, its economy looks different than mm -hmm. uh, the national economy. Um, I just didn't believe that I had the time to try and climb the political ladder um, because then if I arrived on the scene in like 12 years and was like, all right, guys, I mean, by then, um, a lot of what I'm talking about will have already transpired. Right. So what are the the big ideas that you would bring to the Democratic nomination that you think would set you apart from a Bernie Sanders or a Kamala Harris or an Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, so the central pillar of my policy platform is universal basic income, which is uh, something that's been with the country since the founding. Uh, Thomas Paine was for it. Uh, Martin Luther King was for it decades later. And it's a policy where every American gets a certain amount of money free and clear to meet his or her basic needs. Uh, and the freedom dividend, my plan, would put $1,000 a month into the hands of every American adult starting at age 18, $12,000 a year. And what this would do is this would make children and families stronger. It would raise graduation rates. It would improve mental health. It would genuinely empower women to be able to walk away from exploitative and abusive jobs and relationships. It would create 2 million jobs around the country and it would en enable us to do more of the work that we actually want to do. Would you get this a thousand dollars with you uh, needed or not? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, it would not be means tested. Not means tested. Uh, it's a universal right of citizenship, um, where the owners and shareholders of the richest, most advanced society in the history of the world, we can easily afford a dividend of a thousand dollars a month. Twelve thousand dollars doesn't doesn't get close to paying what people's expenses would be. You're not you're not substituting this for a job. Yeah, that's right. It's not intended right. to be a work replacement, uh, and but it, what it would do is it would make um, it would take the existential pressure off of every American. Anyone listening to this or watching this knows a thousand dollars a month would uh, not be something that's going to make you quit your job, uh, but it would be an enormous stress relief, be an enormous help. And if you think about it, if you have a household that has two adults, that's twenty four thousand dollars a year. And that can be a game changer. Unfortunately, we're in a country, as you know, Bill, that 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 57% can't afford unexpected $500 bill. So most of this money would just go right back into the economy or get saved. Right. And um, what is, what's the cost? What do you figure? And, and how do you pay for it? Yeah. So um, the big trap we're in right now as a country, and you probably saw these headlines, uh, Amazon didn't pay any federal taxes last year, despite having record profits. Netflix, same thing. 
and the biggest tech companies, the biggest winners from the new economy, uh, are expert at not paying a lot of taxes, particularly if they're multinationals. They'll just move things around. Google will say it all went through Ireland, like you know, no yeah. taxes in the states. So the trap we're in is that as artificial intelligence and self-driving cars and trucks uh, and software and robotics take over more and more work, we're going to see less and less tax revenue because the value is going to get soaked up. So what we have to do is we have to join every other advanced economy in the world uh, and have a value-added tax, which would then get, give the American public a slice of every Amazon sale, a slice of every robot truck mile and Google search. And because our economy is so vast now at $20 trillion, uh, if we had a value-added tax at even half the European level, it would generate $800 billion in new revenue, which combined what, with- What, a year? A year, which combined with current spending, uh, cost savings, economic growth, because again, we're growing the consumer economy by 8% by putting this money into people's hands, and the value gains from having a stronger, better educated, healthier, uh, more productive population is enough to pay for a dividend of $1,000 a month. Right, which and the total cost would be in that range of eight hundred billion. It's uh, it's actually closer to one point eight trillion. Uh, but the great thing again is most of this money comes right back into the economy. It goes back into uh, tutoring and food for your kids and car repairs and nights out, um, and that generates hundreds of billions in new revenue. We also save hundreds of billions in things like incarceration, homelessness services, emergency room health care, and then we increase. Uh, our productivity by hundreds of billions because you're talking about uh, making your entire population stronger and more whole. Right. Uh, one, uh, I'm not sure, it, some people may pre see it as a flaw in the $1,000 a month. It's, you're right, it's only $12,000 a year. Uh, but for some people, it could be an incentive to just um, basically check out, right? I mean... Oh, well, there are a lot of homeless people today who might be happy to get a thousand dollars a month and never look for a job. Well, well, they, uh, you know, um, they're, the homeless person you're describing now. I mean, you know, they probably have a whole array of issues that twelve thousand dollars is not going to push them further out of uh, the workforce. It might help them get back on their feet. But I, I'm an evidence-driven guy, and the data is incredibly invigorating and encouraging that. Uh, it does not change work levels. People actually tend to work more if they get some more money in their hands, particularly if they're going to keep the money anyway. And that studies have shown that only two groups work less with this level of income support. New mothers who spend more time with their kids and teenagers who graduate from high school at higher levels, neither of which uh, I don't think anyone has a problem with. So uh, if anything, this is going to create many, many more <laughs> meaningful opportunities, and it's going to help pe push people towards work they actually want to do. Right. So the, what I find interesting is the big ideas and, uh, that we're hearing now from um, other Democratic candidates, if you will, uh, and some members of Congress, a $15 minimum wage, Medicare for all, the Green New Deal. Uh, and some people are even saying these ideas are too big and too bold and not realistic. Um, you're coming along with one that's even bigger than any of those, right? How realistic is it? Well, it, you know, if you look at the heritage of this bill, um, not only was Martin Luther King for it, but Milton Friedman and a, and a thousand economists were on board with it in the 70s. It passed the House of Representatives twice in 1971 under Richard Nixon. A and then one state has had an effect for 37 years, and that state's a deeply conservative state, Alaska, which passed the petroleum dividend, and everyone in that state now gets between one and $2,000 uh, a year, no questions asked. 
It's created thousands of jobs. It's wildly popular in a deep red state. So you talk about the big ideas. So it's already this, in place in one state. In a conservative state. So if you think yeah. about this, I become president in 2021. And then uh, the Democrats and progressives are like, okay, um, we like strengthening children and families, so let's pass a dividend. And then the Republicans and independents and libertarians get on board with it too because it's a net transfer into rural areas and red states. Uh, and it's a dividend. It's unconditional. So it's not a bureaucracy making people's decisions. It's actually strengthening economic autonomy and freedom. This is the only thing that we can actually get across the aisle because it's going to be bipartisan. And the heritage of this idea is largely uh, on both sides of the aisle. Right. So why wouldn't you, with this great idea, go to a um, Bernie Sanders or a Kamala Harris or a Joe Biden and who have a lot more campaign experience than you, sure. right? Uh, and probably a better sh chance than you, get them to adopt it and be their sort of economic guru rather than run for president yourself. Uh, Bill, I mean, you've been around the block enough to know that um, I'm going to have a much better chance of getting this on their agenda if I can build a national following around it than if I was uh, like a smart guy, like trying to get a meeting with them. Um, so first, I'm already polling at 1% nationally, according to Monmouth, and most people have never heard of me. And so that's just going to rise uh, over time. I'm on track to make the Democratic primary debates. In well, I was June. just going to ask you about this, so let's talk about that. You oh, know, but, we know what the rules are for the uh, the, the yeah. primary because Tom Perez is a frequent guest here, right? So you yes. have to have one percent in two or three polls, and you have to get have sixty five thousand donors in at least twenty states. Yes. Right. So, right. so, uh, but to answer your question directly, yeah. I would be thrilled if. Kamala or Joe Biden or, or anyone took my plan and championed it to the American people. I'm on the record as saying, I don't really care how we solve the problem. I'm just trying to keep this country together for my kids and you know your kids and everyone mm -hmm. else's kids. Um, I'm not uh, some narcissist who's been dreaming about living in the White House. I really don't care. Um, I'm just trying to solve the problem because I can see it clear as day. I've spent seven years traveling the Midwest and the South, and I know what's happening. Like, there's this tidal wave of automation coming. When the robot trucks come, it's going to be disastrous. So if some other Democratic candidate who has a higher public profile wants to take my plan and champion it, be my guest. I'd be thrilled. Um, now, you, you'll see that most of them, and I, I try, I've, like, had conversations, and most of them actually agree with it in private, but they don't think that in part because they're calculating. They're trying to figure out, hey, yeah. I think I can be president. Like, you know, like I, I shouldn't do anything too outside the box. Right. Um, so oh, we, yeah. No, so, that's... So we need to drag them in the direction of a solution that would actually make a difference to the American people. All right. So let's go back to this debate, the first debate. Pretty key that you get on the stage for the first debate, right? Yes. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm very happy to say we're on track to do that. So I'm at 1% in, in one poll. And as you say, I just need to be at 1% in another two polls in either the early states or nationally, and I'm on track to do that by May. I've been to Iowa eight times, New Hampshire eight times. I'm actually going back and doing a town hall that's on the only national broadcast affiliate in New Hampshire, WMUR, next week. Um, I'm gonna, And then the other path on, I'm also going to, to make it, which is 65,000 individual contributions um, across 20 states. I've already met the 20-state threshold, and we're mm -hmm. going to pass 65,000 well before... June. Um, so everything I'm saying that you're hearing right now is going to be on the national debate stage come 
June. Uh, we're going to make this case to the American people. And if people want to help you get on that stage and help you in your in, in your quest, uh, I'm just looking here. You've got a website at uh, yang2020.com. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you'd like to see universal basic income on the national debate stage uh, in June, just go to yang2020.com. Just give one dollar, two dollars doesn't matter because we just need to get the number above 65,000 by May 15th. So it's Yang, Y-A-N-G, Yang2020.com. That's easy enough, and that's direct. And uh, uh, and you can either um, pledge your support or indicate your support or uh, at least sign up, and, and any anything will help you. Anything that helps, for get, sure. Get on that stage uh, in 2020, which I think is very important. Oh, thank you, Bill. Well, you can just Google Andrew Yang as well, and, like, uh, you know, at this point, I have dominated other Andrew Yangs. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So they'll find you there, right? Okay. You have another idea about, um, I, I want to talk to you more about, time is always of the essence here, about automation. But first, about, the, I find it very interesting. You think the president ought to make $4 million a year? Yeah, yes, I do. Why? Well, because it, it's human nature that if uh, you're president um, and you know you can give a speech for $250,000 to a very wealthy corporation afterwards, um, then you might take it easy on that corporation and then just show up a few years later and like shake some hands and schmooze it up. Um, whereas if we give you a raise to $4 million a year, but then we say you cannot actually give any speeches for money after you leave office, you can't join any corporate boards, you just can't frankly suck up to uh, the rich corporate types and get money from them, then it actually empowers you and frees you from having to make those people like you. I mean, you remember uh, years ago, um, I think it was Franklin Roosevelt who was like, I welcome their hatred when talking about like the corporate taskmasters. Right. Today, yeah. if a president were to say, I welcome their hatred, we would see it as uh, far too extreme. Or, or, Socialist, maybe even. Yeah, yeah, socialist yeah. even. So uh, so you have to look at it realistically and say, okay, um, if the president's right now getting paid $400,000 a year. Are they truly going to be financially independent from... Uh, from these big corporates. I mean, at this point, you're like, you know, I mean, yeah. so so if you give them $4 million a year and then uh, say you can't make any money from industry afterwards, then they become our public servant in a true sense. And we should do this not just for the president, but Sheila Baer, who used to run the FDIC, said we should do this for regulators. Because mm -hmm. she said, look, like I'm in office for a couple of years and then I just start thinking, okay, who's going to pay me afterwards? Yeah. So nothing ever gets done. No, she goes to work for the company she used to regulate. I mean, we've seen that re revolving door uh, so many times. Um, uh, and by the way, $4 million even, it's a lot of money, is less than they would make in the corporate sector uh, if, if they were a CEO of a Yes. A big Wall Street firm. And, and this can go into effect the president after me. Like, you know, I'm not, you know, it's like, I'll just okay. make it happen. And the next president <laughs> can um, can it freed up. This this threat of automation, which you see, and, and I, I, I mean, I think is is one of the biggest threats facing the American workforce today. And how can we, I mean, it's heading our way. You're yes. right, truck drivers. I've talked to Jim Hoffett, the Teamsters, about this many times, to uh, Mark Perone at the UFCW, head of the UFCW. I mean, it's taken American jobs, and can you oh, yeah. turn it around? Just got about a minute left. Uh, they're, they're, unfortunately, education and retraining programs have not proven to be effective at all. And it's not just truckers. 30% of malls are going to close in the next four years, and working in a retail establishment is the most common job in America yeah. because of Amazon. So that's why I'm so passionate about universal basic income, Bill, is that it's the only realistic and feasible 
way we can help ease this transition for millions of American workers. Right. Uh, and give them at least that, that one opportunity or that one just sort of bit of assistance, right? To yeah, yeah. It gets the boot off of everyone's throats. It makes it easier to move, easier to make a plan, easier to yeah. provide for your kids. Hey, listen, great to see you and congratulations. Uh, and uh, you know, admire you, I admire you for what you're doing. Uh, and invite all of you again uh, to be part of this crusade, Andrew Yang. Uh, it's yang2020.com. You'll be hearing and seeing a lot more of him uh, down the road, and we appreciate your stopping by today. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you, Bill. Brave the snow going home, too. All right. Yes. All right. We'll be right back uh, with Hannah Trudeau this from National Journal. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Bernie says the difference between 2016 and today is this time he's going to win. And he shakes it up yesterday with his big announcement, getting an awful lot of support from supporters all around the country. Four million dollars in the first 12 hours. What do you say, everybody? Here we go. It is Wednesday, February 20, the Bill Press Show, live again from our nation's capital with the news of the day on the political front, on the economic front, on the border front, uh, the National Declaration, and on the Andrew McCabe front. Lots going on. Uh, and uh, our job is to tell you what, what uh, what's happening your job to let us know what you think about it all as we join you on the radio, on television, and online as well. Taking a particular look at 2020 this next half hour uh, with Hannah Trudeau, who is with the National Journal and the author of the OG 2020 <laughs> newsletter. I always say it should be the OMG 2020 <laughs> newsletter. Hi, Hannah. It's nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I mean, your job gets more and more interesting every day. I know. Right? It's so much fun. Yeah. I mean, it's great. Bernie made your day yesterday, I right? I know. He, he's finally in. We've been waiting for this for a few years now, those who have been watching 2020. Yeah. And we did not, no real surprise that he jumped in. No. But, no, no. Uh, and now we'll see. There's still, there's still several people out there. Haven't heard for sure yet from Sherrod Brown. Haven't heard for sure from Michael Bloomberg. Haven't heard from sure from Joe Biden, right. of all people. Yes. Uh, and then some other outliers like Jeff Merkley and others, which we will all talk about with Hannah Trudeau and with all of you. Get ready to send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, on Twitter, at BP Show. So we'll get right back to 2020. But first, Peter with all the big headlines the of the day. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, it's still cold out there, but you know it's right around the corner. 
baseball season, baby. Oh, spring training's already underway. It's already underway, yeah, yeah believe yeah. it or not. Well, yesterday, a big, big development because there are really two big free agents that had not been signed yet. Manny Machado and, of course, Bryce Harper. Bryce well, Harper. we now know where Manny Machado will go. It is the largest free agent contract in baseball history. He is going to the San Diego Padres. Ten years, $300 million is what wow. he is going to get paid. Whoa. <laughs> it's a lot of money. It's Peter, a lot of money. Peter, we're in the wrong business. Uh, seriously, man. Tell me about it. And look, that now, of course, the speculation begins. Where does Bryce Harper go? The thing yeah, about these yeah. two players is they both wanted long-term contracts, right? And so Manny Machado got his 10 years. Uh, what will Bryce Harper get? I mean, we're going to have to find out soon because, as you pointed yeah, out, yeah. spring training It's is amazing underway. he hasn't signed up yet. And yeah. by the way, I know uh, uh, changing sports entirely, but where does, where does uh, Colin Kaepernick go now that he's settled with the NFL? This is a big story because there are rumors that he's going to actually come back to the NFL now that his collusion case with the NFL yeah. is settled. You know, they didn't announce, and they, they're keeping it quiet, the amount of money he settled for. I can't imagine how much money he got paid. Mm -hmm. It had to have been a lot. Yeah, yeah. But we'll see if anybody hires him. They should. They should. Absolutely. There are plenty. There are plenty of NFL teams that need a quarterback, even you know, even as a backup. You know, they 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 need quarterbacks. Uh, so we will see. We will see. We're going to talk a lot about the election here coming up with Hannah. You know, uh, the, this, in Oregon, they are looking to change the voting age. They want to lower the voting age from 18 to 16. Really? How do you feel about that? Um, fine. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. Well, they, they point out that, like, look, these are kids these that are, are voting on their future. Right. right? Yeah. And so they're hoping to get this on the ballot, get it voted on, and put it into, into practice before the 2020 election. So that could have a huge impact on uh, 2020. Hmm. I didn't know that. There you go. Yeah, they're working on it in Oregon. <laughs> All right. Good to know. Jeff Merkley. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> this is the Bill Press Show. And according to the New York Times, yet one more example of obstruction of justice on the part of Donald Trump trying to uh, convince or pressure the acting attorney general uh, to put the uh, U.S. attorney from Southern District of New York in charge of the hush money investigation from which the uh, U.S. attorney had recused himself. Here we go all over again. Donald Trump, of course, denying he had anything to do with it, just calling it all fake news. We'll see. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today on a Wednesday, Wednesday, February 20. The Bill Press Show. We are joining you online on YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We're joining you on the radio on WCPT, the great progressive voice of Chicago and surrounding communities there. And joining you nationwide, everywhere in this great land of ours, on Free Speech TV, part of the DirecTV network, focusing on 2020 as more and more candidates jump in and things, the field is starting to shake, shape down, shape up, I should say, uh, a little bit. 
Uh, Hannah Trudeau, that's her beat, and that's what she does for the National Journal, author of the OG 2020 newsletter, which you can follow at nationaljournal.com. So, Hannah, good to see you. Good to see you, too. How many Democrats are now officially announced? Oh, it's hard to keep track. There's, uh, I think there's several, well, there's several senators, uh, top-tier people that have all announced, and uh, mostly minority and women uh, in, in that top-tier set. Right. Uh, and maybe more senators to come. You know, yeah. We've, we, we've, we've seen, the, the number I saw, I, uh, you know, with the network's, Yesterday it was eleven, including mm-hmm. Andrew Yang, who's just joined us here. Um, yeah, I want to say eleven or twelve off the top of my head. Right, yeah. right. Uh, and again, we as we talked there at the very top of the hour, Bernie Sanders, not unexpected, but when he uh, announced yesterday, uh, he showed that he has an advantage over the other, all the other candidates because he's been there before and he's got a built-in support base. Yeah, right. and I think um, one one really important thing to note about Bernie that uh, those of us who have been following 2020 during the midterms and, and a little bit before that is that it's not a huge surprise to you know people who have followed his movements and followed 2016 closely that he is attracting you know tons of small donors that he does poll the highest in the in the early name recognition polls the national polls um he's the leading candidate in in my opinion in as far as people who have announced right now first year number of you know fundraising name recognition polling um he has like you said that core supporter base that's built in whereas other people will have to start building their coalitions of support and um you know, I think his his launch yesterday was a testament to that four million small donors, um, you know, in, le- in 12 hours or so. So that was uh, if I could just interrupt, I just want to read some of the numbers because this was okay. last night. They wrote. Uh, okay. Yeah, uh, they, they yeah had the it, numbers. it keeps growing. Four million dollars from one hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. people yeah. in the first 12 hours. Yeah. So if you compare that to uh, Kamala Harris, who had the the. Most by the way, and she had a very she had a yeah. very yeah. very yeah. successful launch. In her first twenty four hours, she raised one point five million. Yeah, so like in his first twelve hours, he he's more than doubled it. I think it's safe to say that Bernie will be on stage for the first debate. <laughs> I think so. I think you can. I think yes. you can count on that. You think he'll meet the criteria? I think he'll meet of the criteria. one percent in the. Uh, <laughs> In the uh, uh, ID polls, and, yeah, I and, think and, so. uh, and sixty-five thousand donors. Yeah, but the other thing is, um, with in contrast to Elizabeth Warren, um, who also shares that more progressive, you know, faction of the party, he he's far outpaced her in in many different ways. You know, we saw her, you know, climbing up in some polls earlier on, and now has dipped in in a lot of them. And and her fundraising totals are shockingly low compared to his. I think there's it was three hundred thousand um, small donors in total in the first. Um, first couple of days, you know, 24 hours to 48 hours type of thing. And uh, that's that's very surprising, you know, because she was the first one out of the gate. She did it kind of by surprise on New Year's Eve day. Um, and Bernie did it kind of surprise, you know, yesterday. We knew it was coming, but we didn't know necessarily yeah. when. So right. just in contrast, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the talk at the time was last year and during the midterms was that she's going to pull away a lot of his support and fracture that progressive vote. But there's no evidence thus far that indicates that that's happening. Bernie would be, he is 77 today, mm-hmm. he would be 78 uh, if when in 2020 when he's running. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget when his birthday is, but 
Um, so he'd be even 79, right? His first is is that a factor? Well, he would be the oldest presidential candidate ever. <laughs> if he gets the nomination, be the oldest presidential candidate ever. Is that a factor anymore? Fo- well, followed right right by Joe Biden, who is also number number one in the polls and hasn't announced. So, um, you know, I think it's interesting. I think there is a, a lot of people talk about the age factor. But, you know, I've said on the show before, I think people know how old these two top tier frontrunner candidates are. So their their support is a sort of completely aside from their age. I mean, there's people who are hardcore Bernie fans who don't care about his age, like was with Biden. They see age as an experience, you know, benefit in that sense. So, um, you know, if they were if they were younger candidates, we have somebody like Pete Buttigieg, who is in his late 30s, who's also running, you know, so you have the whole spectrum um, and people talk about his age being a, a factor, too. But I think it's just people gravitate towards their candidates, you know, despite how old they are. Yeah. I mean, I think the age issue was basically destroyed by Bernie Sanders the last time around. Yeah. Last time around. And then look at, I mean, look at the fundraising from last night. You know, clearly there's $4 million worth of support in, you know, 12 hours for somebody who's in his late seventies. So, so we started talking about the, all the advantages that Bernie does have. I mean, he has the built-in organization, our revolution, which he founded. He's got Mm -hmm. his huge donor base, his huge support base, his huge volunteer grassroots base mm-hmm. uh, already in place. The others have to, as you pointed out, have to build it mm-hmm. and are working on building it. Bernie's got it and he's kept it alive mm-hmm. since he ran in, in, in 2016. And he certainly uh, knows the message. I mean, he's the one who crafted the message sure. that like everybody else is running on these days yeah. for the most part, yeah. variations in a theme. But yeah. Uh, so those are all his advantages. The disadvantage is, it seems to me, he doesn't have the feel to him, the progressive feel to himself, right. the way he did in 2016. Right. And right? I, yeah, I think that's true. And it's also another disadvantage for him is that, well, because there <laughs> there are more people that have adopted his platforms, it's it's only sort of, in my opinion, it's more of the really astute political followers who. Um, might want might differentiate between his policies and that he was the first one to roll them out or somebody like Kamala Harris or Cory Booker who have adopted them. You know, people across the country, I don't know, are necessarily saying, um, well, Kamala Harris only came around to this a few months ago versus Bernie has done this his whole career. I mean, I, a lot of people I don't think think of things like that. So as long as the platform is sort of universal in, in his ideas, I think it makes it a little bit harder for him. Right. But certainly, uh, again, uh, I've said this before, but, uh, everybody, I believe, all the Democrats will be left of center for sure. Mm-hmm. But even there, you've got a spectrum, right? And Bernie is clearly pretty far, will be on the far left of yeah. that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth Warren also, Kamala Harris for the most part. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Amy Klobuchar and Cory Booker are both going out of their way to to, to, to differentiate themselves and in, in, into a more centrist, moderate kind of uh, agenda, right? Yeah, I I think... I mean, they both said, yeah, Medicare for all is, like, a good idea, but, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. We we can't raise our expectations. Yeah. The Green New Deal, yeah, it's aspirational, but, you know, we may get there, we may not, whatever, you know, let's not rush into it. Amy Klobuchar said the other night, (laughs) I'd love to be for a free community college for every American kid, but it's not realistic. So yeah. is there a place in the Democratic Party today for almost a Hillary 
kind of candidate. Yeah, and well, and 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 the other thing I just thought of with Kamala Harris is in New Hampshire the other day she went out of her way to say I'm not a democratic socialist. Yeah, so she's yeah. all, so it's it's almost like um, a lot of these policies are shifting leftward, but they're still kind of like you know a little bit of a foot in the door in terms of um, but but I'm not but I'm not what Bernie is type of thing just to kind of signal to voters um, who might be afraid of of that uh, wing. Um, there, I think if. You know, Biden, to me, is the big game changer in terms of the more centrist lane. I think if he gets in, it's going to be really hard for somebody like Amy Klobuchar or Sherrod Brown to really gain traction because they would be pulling from that same sort of Midwestern, um, frankly, white working class uh, Mm -hmm. support base. And so I think if he doesn't run, um, there could be a real lane for somebody like Amy Klobuchar, just sheer sheer number of people that in the midterms, you know, a lot of those down ballot um, races were sort of more centrist candidates. There are obviously there's a lot of energy in the progressive wing with some people like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and and that sort of group of of Dems. Um, But there's also across, you know, across the Midwest and stuff, there's been a lot of down ballot candidates who skewed more centrist. Who is the candidate among the candidates? Who do you think could end up being the biggest surprise in terms of uh, one that we may not know much about these yet, uh, haven't heard much about yet, or uh, but really ends up becoming a, a you know prime time or big tier candidate? Yeah, um, I'm going to. Doesn't go- have to be just one. Are there any there that you think mm-hmm. might end up surprising us? Well. Anecdotally, I can tell you who has surprised me from the reaction I've got from from yeah. people just talking to, about this is um, Pete Buttigieg, who I mentioned earlier, the mayor of South Bend. So I I contrast him um, with Beto, who hasn't officially announced, but God, he's also a younger white Beto. guy. Right. The, so with him, I it's it's hard for a lot of people right now to see a lane for Pete Buttigieg when there's also a young white male in the in the form of Beto, who's relatively unknown. Um, that being said, I think Beto, the the, the sort of um, national narrative of him has been built up a lot. So he has much more of a chance of like not exceeding expectations and sort of like flopping potentially. Whereas Pete, um, Mayor Pete, as he's sort of affectionately called, he doesn't have high name recognition at all. And, and the positive Co- the, the coverage that he has gotten so far has been extremely positive. He's been um, in contact with a lot of people from Obama world. He's a favorite of David Axelrod. He's, you know, he's somebody who under the radar, he's not very public about the people that are really supporting him and in his ear, but he, he has the ear of some very influential people that I think, um, you know, shouldn't be underestimated. Uh, just uh, one little uh, anecdote myself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that he was here, Pete, Mayor Pete, Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete Buttigieg was here in Washington. He has a new book out. Yeah. Every Vice Starts with a Book. Yeah. Uh, and he was here at the Great Politics and Prose on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Our friend John Allen was introducing him, mm-hmm. uh, interviewing him. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Allen showed up at the store and um, there were police guards at the door and they said I'm sorry we can't let you in interesting uh, yeah it's it's too packed capacity it's, it's, yeah it's filled to capacity yeah and yeah. that's a big store yeah and he's I mean, a small town there. guy you know it's yeah. like it's not Joe Biden going no no it's yeah. not Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden yeah it's the mayor of South Bend Indiana yeah and John Allen said why well, you know I have to get in because I'm 
interviewing. Yeah. And they said, no, we're, there, there's That's nobody so else allowed in this building. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you don't understand. I mean, I'm part of the program. I, Anyhow, <laughs> he finally got in, but yeah. they've never had that big a crowd. That's crazy. Yeah. Politics and pros. I'm not surprised. I mean, he's, he's, I've heard from people who saw him and knew he was just in New Hampshire and they were very impressed by him. I mean, he's, he's very, very under the radar. And I think that works in his advantage right now when, when somebody like Beto, um, there's so many high expectations for him and we don't really know what he's up to. You know, at whereas, the same time, you got to admit that Beto has a national fundraising base yes. and a national name identification, which Pete Buttigieg would die for. By the way, yeah. while, while we're talking about Pete Buttigieg, I just wanted to read this tweet from his uh, um, uh, communications advisor, advisor mm-hmm. Liz Smith. Yesterday, she tweeted, oh, yeah. uh, he commented on court packing, uh, and he said, quote, it's no more a departure from norms than what the Republicans did to get the judiciary to the place it is today. Bold, ambitious ideas need a hearing right now, end quote. He -hmm. also talked about and was very clear that he supported statehood for D.C. Mm -hmm. and for Puerto Rico, should they want it. And, like, look, we'll see where he goes in the primary, right? But he's not afraid to take a a big swing at some ideas that haven't really been talked about on a presidential level. And you know what? Another thing that's really interesting, this is just a random thing that I found one day on Wikipedia that led me to to find this article. But he wrote an award winning uh, essay, I believe, when he was either a teenager or maybe a freshman in college on on how Bernie Sanders inspires him as a politician. And this was way before Bernie obviously ran for president. Mm. This was years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he singled out Bernie as, you know, the only senator that in his mind who has the real progressive ideas to push the country forward again this was years and years ago and i think that's just interesting because it's you know if he kind of promotes his sort of early support of bernie if bernie doesn't necessarily um do so well himself somebody who has those ideas who's who's younger than him could attract a lot of those same kinds of supporters if for some reason bernie has to step step aside so i just think that's interesting right uh, i didn't know that he had that uh, connection if you will to, yeah to, to Bernie. but uh one final comment on people just remember he was running and he's been in studio with us here but he was mm-hmm. running for chair of the Democratic National Committee mm-hmm. with, with Tom Perez, Keith mm-hmm. Ellison, I forget who else was running. Ray Buckley. Ray Buckley from yeah. New Hampshire. Uh, and um, they were talking about kind of where they are, uh, you know, liberal, progressive, whatever, moderate, and uh, labels. And Pete was trying to make the point. Of, of, and he was the last one who spoke. And he said, well, you know, I think it's kind of, you're going to, it's hard to put a label on me. Yeah, because they said I sort of defy a lot of um, preconceptions about yeah who I might be. Yeah, he said, "Let me just tell you how I started Thanksgiving morning, <laughs> and you can go from there." He said, "I started Thanksgiving morning at six a.m. in my boyfriend's <laughs> father's duck a uh, deer blind." <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so, so that, funny. That had yeah. so many, yeah, so many know, different ways to think about it. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Which I thought a lot was going funny. on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but let's talk about some of the people who are not in yet. Does but let's talk about Beto. Mm-hmm. Does he run? I mean, is he just teasing now? I mean, he's got a big rally in El Paso, and uh, yeah, something which was impressive. He got as many people as Donald Trump did, if not more. Yeah, here's a little that is I thought that was I thought Senate that was race. interesting and um and I thought it was interesting that Trump decided to do it in that 
way in contrast to him. Um, One thing I found out yesterday, a tip from somebody um, was that sort of people in his inner circle think there's talk about him potentially running for Senate or president. You know, which one is it going to be? And people in his inner circle are saying that he he's well aware of the fact that a Senate challenge to John Cornyn in Texas would actually potentially yield much worse results than his race against Ted Cruz. So they see that as an incentive for him not to do it. Um, this is just people who I've you know talked to about about this who know who have. Um, and so that's interesting to me. That's kind of a signal that he's not going to do it. But that being said, if he's not going to do the Senate yeah, and go right. for president, you know, but there's 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 talk about which one he's going to do. And I think if he does end up doing the Senate run, it will be in order to keep his profile high for a potential VP pick. And that's also what um, some folks in his sort of circle are thinking. All right. Uh, Sherrod Brown. Yes or no? I, jury's out on Sherrod to me. Um, he's on his Dignity of Work tour across the country. He's been to New Hampshire. He was well-received there. He's been in a bunch of places now. Um, I think he's heading to Nevada soon. Um, it's. I, I think it will be hard for him to run if Biden does, and I think Biden will. So... I don't know if he'll if he'll pull the trigger if once he sees Biden. And that being said, Biden is expected to wait longer than he would probably have to wait. Why is Biden waiting so long? I don't think there's a huge incentive for him to get in right now and face those early attacks, quite frankly, that he might face. Um, There's a lot of like sort of. at people that are waiting to jump on him, especially among the, the the field currently. And now that Bernie's in, I mean, he might be first in line, followed by Elizabeth Warren in terms of um, real attacks. Um, but I would look to people currently on the Judiciary Committee, like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, to start launching attacks on on him. You know, for from his days when he mm-hmm. when he was there. Um, so I think it's like he doesn't have to do it. He's going to get a lot of corporate funding. He hasn't sworn off um, corporate PAC money the way others have. So I don't think he needs the small donor incentive. Um, and I, I, you know, I think he can he can delay it as as long as he needs but to. But you're convinced he can that he's going to run, Joe Biden. It, he looks like it. He looks like it. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I've talked to people recently who have talked to him specifically, and he has told them I'm running. Um, well, that being said, but you know, I mean, that's a good sign. It's a, uh, that I, that kind of reassured me because I've I've watched it unfold where um, I hadn't heard from anybody who he'd spoken to directly yet. At, at one point, I thought for sure that he was going to run, but the longer he waits, <laughs> I'm starting to. to well, doubt. I was the opposite. I thought he wouldn't run, oh, and right. then I now. and now I just feel it's a strategic thing what he's doing. It's not so much hemming and hawing. I mean, a lot of the stories about him are, you know, he's agonizing over his decision. I don't believe any of that. I don't think people who are following it do because he's run before two times. He was VP. He knows he wants to be president. Everybody else knows that too. So it's just a strategic thing of, you know, it, when he when he does it, in my opinion. Right. Especially if he's telling people privately that he's going to. Um, I want to remind people, how can they sign up for your newsletter? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter mm-hmm. um, at HC Trudeau, and I tweet out links to it. T-R-U-D-O. T-R-U-D-O. Or they can go to nationaljournal.com, nationaljournal.com and, and sign too. up. Yes. Right? Uh, okay. Um, can Democrats win with a female candidate? Yes. I think so. I think so. But it has to be the right female candidate. I'm not sure who that will be yet. Um, but I, yes, I think they can win with a female candidate. I think it's, um, th- you know, there's more reasons to believe that they can win with a bunch of different kinds of candidates based on the success in the midterms, if, if that's an indication. 
um, you know, a, a female candidate. A lot of women feel inspired. Who do you think that uh, Donald Trump and, and his and the Republicans fear the most among among the candidates we've talked about? Kamala Harris. Kamala. Yeah, for sure. Um, and a lot of the Oppo research, GOP Oppo research groups fear her the most. Um, one thing I noticed actually in 2018, which was really interesting, was he attacked by name nearly every single other, all of the top tier people and even some sort of lower tier people um, on Twitter, the way he often does. And he didn't attack her at all. Not not one time, all of 2018. And so I think, um, you know, some people might say, well, that means he's not really thinking about her. To me, that signals he he sees her as a real threat and he's really waiting to um, attack her and doesn't has to be more careful about what he wants to say and how he wants to approach it. Right. Now, um, all the focus, of course, is on the Democratic side because <laughs> there are so many candidates <laughs> and 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 um, it almost looks like it's just a lock that Donald Trump will be unchallenged for in the Republican primary. Yeah. Except for William Weld, I guess, who's oh, a joke. Yes, I, mean, I forgot about him. Yeah, joining yeah. in. Uh, yeah, and Larry Hogan. Don't forget Larry Hogan. Well, the possibility. <laughs> yeah. So William Weld's a joke. Larry Hogan. I haven't seen Larry Hogan take too many steps towards it, though. I, he said. I saw earlier this week. He said something really critical of Trump. He didn't. You know, yeah. He, he, he didn't take any steps towards a candidacy. You're right. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's. I. At least I haven't heard yet that he's hiring anybody. Yeah, I haven't. That's no what I mean by exploratory steps. committee. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even he, behind the scenes, I, I think he heard loves him. the fact that he's being talked about, yeah. right? As someone who could challenge Donald Trump, right? Um, well, that was like Jeff Flake until he categorically ruled it out. You know, people he liked the attention of people talking about him and going on, you know, Morning Joe and hemming and hawing in that sense and. There's but, only so long that can go on for before you have to kind of pull the plug. I know. And I mean, I think this is this is sort of a do or die moment for the to the extent that there is a pre-Trump Republican Party left mm-hmm. anymore mm-hmm. or an establishment Republican Party is somebody who represents that old yeah. fashioned our well, the Republican Party we once knew has either got to stand up and challenge Donald Trump or they might as well just wave the white flag of surrender, which I think is actually the case today. Yeah. That there is no Republican Party. It's the Trump Party. Yeah, it is. And 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 just even um, just on that point, a lot of Republicans are praising Amy Klobuchar. So people that would be the typical Republican Party pre-Trump are the ones who are kind of looking at her p- bid, <laughs> potentially. So I think that that's interesting. You know, she kind of skews more... Um, she 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 touts there, being able to work across uh, the aisle. There are two governors that we that we did that well actually three mm-hmm. that were more talked about than in the last couple of weeks. We sort of have forgotten about Jay Inslee from Washington. <laughs> yes, again, good man, great on climate change, good governor. I haven't seen any sign that he's making any moves. He, have you? He did earlier. You know, he's like Eric Garcetti in that sense. Eric Garcetti made a lot of early moves. The governor, right. the, yeah. the, the former mayor of L.A. Um, and and Jay Inslee was making a lot of early moves. He chaired the DGA, which allowed him to chair, which allowed him to travel all over the country. He went to a ton of states. He made kind of a um, party faux pas in New Hampshire, which some people are still mad about. But during the midterms, um, but he he's kind of toned down his moves. And I think um, 
I think he'll. So, I think he'll still do it in the end. To be you, honest, you do. I do. Yeah, I do. Um, How about John Hickenlooper from Colorado? Same he's thing. he's the same kind of um, category in that sense. I think the governors. I, I would put more of a bet on Bullock um, for an underdog governor, Montana, Steve Bullock, um, because he actually is really, I think, is really going to do it and sort of may catch some people's attention being from, you know, Wild West type of country. And then there's former Governor Terry McAuliffe. Yes. Who last weekend, I think it was on Face the Nation, I believe, Sunday, saying we need a governor in there. Yeah. We need yeah. a progressive governor in there. Yeah, and I'm not we, sure we need, we need me I don't know if, you know, people need the the Virginia, former Virginia governor after everything that's been happening in Virginia well, with didn't and, happen under Terry McAuliffe. Right. Well, his deputy, but uh, <laughs> Ralph Northam was his deputy. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of one of those things where um I think the ties to the Clintons might might dog him more than you know, the Virginia stuff, but just, you know, all things considered, I don't know if it's a great thing to run as a Virginia Democrat with ties to Hillary Clinton right, right. now. So we're up to 11 and we have room for nine more on the stage. <laughs> and we'll see how that shakes down. Right. Um, I am not running. Okay. So, <laughs> I'm not either. All right. Just clear no, the that's field too that. off the field. All right. <laughs> great. Yeah, makes it a little easier. Right? I have yet to announce. Anna. So good to see you. Thanks Thank for you. coming in. Thanks right for Again, me. don't forget, it's nationaljournal.com. You sign up for the OG 2020 newsletter. <laughs> uh, one of the great progressive organizations way out in front. They have grown by leaps and bounds. The Progressive Change Campaign Committee. Uh, Adam Green, the co-founder, joins us next here in studio on the Bill Press Show. Uh, so don't go away. Uh, the progressive front in the 2020 campaign Adam Green, way out in front on that. We'll talk all about it when we come back. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast, search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes, and catch the highlights from every show. Here we go, Wednesday, February 20, the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us as we uh, join you all across this great land of ours from our studio on Capitol Hill here in Washington, D.C., where we are brought to you today by the International Association of Laborers, the Laborers Union of North America, under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan. They are building a better America. That's their website, liuna, L-I-U-N-A, buildsamerica.org. Check it out. Again, thank you for being with us. Uh, the Democratic Party today is the Progressive Party. Uh, the progressives dominate the party. The party has ran in 2016 on the most progressive party platform ever. Uh, and uh, one organization that had a great deal to do with helping shape that progressive message uh, is the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. Uh, we remember here on the Bill Press Show when that organization was founded uh, and his co-founder, Adam Green, a frequent guest on the Bill Press Show, makes his way back to celebrate the 10th anniversary. Adam, it's good to see That's you. Right. Happy birthday to us. Uh, yeah, uh, years no ago, kidding. BoldProgressives.org was born, myself and my co-founder, Stephanie Taylor, and we're nearly a million members strong and trying to make a difference uh, both on the election front and the policy agenda front. Uh, and you started out, I mean, from scratch, right? We did. We wanted uh, you know, more progressives to get the nuts and bolts support that they need to run competitive, competent campaigns and win. Uh, I think 2018 was a validation of years of work by us and others on that yeah. front. 
And we want to change what was perceived as mainstream, change the agenda, yeah. change the center of gravity in the party, and we're happy to be part of Which that Which you have certainly done with a lot of help, of course, from our friends as well. Absolutely. Uh, so we got lots and lots to talk about here with uh, Adam Green at boldprogressives.org, Progressive Change Campaign Committee, boldprogressives.org. But, uh, Adam, we've been at it now for about an hour and a half here in the snow, uh, 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 turning up a lot of comments around the country. We always like to check in with our viewers and listeners. Peter? Yes, indeed. Lots and lots and lots of comments today about a, a number of different issues. Uh, lots to talk about Bernie Sanders in our mentions today. Uh, John Davis says, go Bernie. Uh, Trump is destroying the moral compass of the American people. Uh, also, he goes on to say that uh, the way that he nailed Howard Schultz in his interview with CBS yesterday was uh, pretty great. Pretty great. I agree with that. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a couple of comments about our conversation with Andrew Yang earlier in the program. Lots of people who either weren't aware of the issue of mm -hmm. universal basic income or uh, echoing how much they love that idea. Somebody even said, Sanders Yang 2020. Let's just let's see. Let's see. Uh, we talked also about CNN hiring Sarah Flores, who used to work for Jeff Sessions and has worked for many different terrible Republicans. Uh, Luna says too bad CNN wasn't around when Nixon resigned. They could have hired him as their government ethics expert. Yikes. Also, I just want to give an update because yesterday we ran a poll. Will you vote oh, for Bernie yes. Sanders in 2020? Uh, the poll got a little bit closer than when we were talking yesterday, but it is closed and it is 49% of you say no, you will not vote for Bernie Sanders. 39% of you say yes. 12% of you say you are still undecided. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at BP Show. All right. Uh, interesting how that poll uh, ended up. At one time, it was 59 percent, I remember, saying they would not vote for Bernie. Mm. Um, uh, and what's interesting is this is, this is a progressive audience uh, around, around the country. So is, it a, is it a bold progressive audience? It's, it is a bold progressive <laughs> audience. We are, we are all in, in line <laughs> with the Green New Deal. All right. You should know that. So uh, as you pointed out, 2018 was sort of the affirmation of a lot of your work and a lot of the candidates that, that you supported. What, what did we learn in 2018? Well, we learned a couple things. One, the center of gravity has shifted in the Democratic Party and the general electorate in a bold economic populist, general populist direction. I think there was a misnomer by some pundits in D.C. that it moderates one in some of these purple or red districts. Um, our sister organization, the Progressive Change Institute, actually did the only data analysis looking at every website uh, Facebook, Twitter, many debate performances of every winning House candidate and put the data up at howdemsran2018.com. Mm -hmm. And basically 65% of incoming House winners campaigned on either some version of Medicare for All or expanding Social Security benefits. 80% campaigned against Big Pharma. 80% campaigned against corporate money and politics. <laughs> so you know, the, the, this is, if people want to call that moderate, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah if expanding right. Social Security, Medicare for All is moderate. Fantastic. The floor has shifted. The floor has gone up. You know, even Connor Lamb, who won a 20 point Trump district last cycle, you know, his ads were about jobs and unions, um, getting corporate money out of politics and protecting Social Security and Medicare. And then when he ran again in November after winning a special election, he was for expanding Social Security. So, you know, again, if he's a moderate, fantastic. So I think that's what we've learned, that the general election appetite 
is there for big, bold structural change and challenging the corporate and political establishment. And that impacts what people should be thinking about for 2020. To what extent would you give Bernie Sanders credit for that? Deserves a ton of credit for, you know, being being putting so much oxygen in the room in 2016 for the center of gravity to change. You know, groups like ours, you know, we were one of the few groups that did not endorse in the primary, in part because many of our great allies had endorsed. We didn't think that our net benefit of grassroots stuff would make that much of a difference compared to what we did, which was work with Sanders and Hillary to facilitate what we called a race to the top. As he was clamoring for things like expanding Social Security, in his case, free tuition, we were organizing and and lobbying the Clinton people to say yes Mm -hmm. on the inside Mm -hmm. to expand Social Security and debt-free college and other things. And it was a great, you know, it would not have happened but for Bernie Sanders. So he is a historic figure. He is a lion. And we're thrilled that he and Elizabeth Warren will be a one-two punch in this uh, primary process. We assume bringing the entire pack with them and continuing the shift in the center of gravity. Right. And uh, so now we get to 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, And um, Elizabeth Warren had no sooner said she was going to run than PCCC said, she's our candidate. Right. Right. You move to, did you move too soon before yeah. you know who, who, who's in and what everybody's agenda is going to be? Uh, no. Uh, I think that's called a, is that a softball question. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, no, we did not move too soon. We believe that Elizabeth Warren is the most electable candidate that Democrats could possibly put up against Donald Trump because she is an inspiring progressive woman who is instinctively seen by voters as on the side of working people and willing to challenge powerful interests. That is exactly what we need to defeat Donald Trump in 2020. We also think that she would be the most effective and best president. She is someone who comes to the job um, with a track record of picking her battles carefully, getting her ducks in a row, and building the right coalition to win fights that people say she can't win, like winning the Consumer Financial Financial Protection Bureau. Does she, and by the way, just for the record, just so you know, I've not endorsed anybody, and I'm kind of waiting, maybe it's cowardly on my part. I'm just sort of waiting to see everybody who's in and how they stack up and what their message is. But And I was a big Bernie supporter I in know. 2016. Yes. Uh, so uh, I'm not here advocating any one particular mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. But one advantage, you have to admit, that uh, where Elizabeth Warren, she is a dynamite candidate, has great appeal. Yep. Bernie has the built-in organization. You know, he's got the donor base. He's got the volunteer base, right? Um, mm-hmm. He's done it before. Um, so that gives him a leg up over Elizabeth Warren. Are you concerned about that? And, and, and you know, yeah. for the most part, their agenda is pretty much the same. I, I am, I am very happy that he's in the race. I think that uh, Democrats are stronger, and I think Elizabeth Warren's candidacy is stronger because Bernie Sanders is in the race. Here's why I predict will happen. I think there's a misnomer in Washington that there is a progressive lane, and having multiple progressives in the race cannibalize yeah. each other, and then yeah. you know, other people. No. First of all, we've done polling, and I can tell you from a statistical perspective, that is not true. You know, Biden takes some from Bernie. Bernie takes some, Bernie takes some from Biden. Beto takes some from everybody. It's like there's weird stuff happening behind the scenes. There's no one lane that people cannibalize themselves. Clearly, but what I think more relevant is having Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren on the debate stage together, literally and figuratively in the press every day, will drive the conversation in the direction of bold, structural, systemic solutions that Democrats as a whole need to be talking about to speak to disaffected voters, win them back, and defeat Trump. Being isolated can be very bad in politics, right? It it can be cast as being on the fringe, but they will always have each other. They will be a one-two punch 
that commands media attention and the rest of the Democratic pack to follow. And I think that they will collectively see their collective share of the pie get bigger and bigger. And I hope that going into Iowa, they are two of the top contenders uh, you know, going into those early states. I, I have to ask you, uh, just uh, because, just doing my job, basically, but mm-hmm. do you believe that the American Indian issue with Elizabeth Warren is going to hurt her? Um, it, de- it depends, but let me put it this way. Donald Trump will attack any Democrat on something that's either petty or intellectually dishonest. Do you find right? that voters care about this as an issue? Voters do not care about this as an issue. I mean, I, I was in Iowa for Elizabeth Warren's first four events. There was precisely one question that came up about this, and it was from someone who supported her saying, I love you. Why'd you give him this opening? Which is a fair question. Right? Yeah. Um, but, and we're actually compiling data now among all of her events and other people's events to, to be able to put out similar data that, that we did in 2018 to show what the substance is that people actually care about. Voters don't care about this issue. But to coin a phrase, I think that this election, like no other, we're going to see something that I would call voters as pundits. Basically, people scratching their chin and saying, I Hmm. support that candidate, but I think white male voters in Ohio will support that candidate in in the general. So I support them. But then something will happen the next week. Oh, Kamala got 20,000 people? Hmm. She's viable. Now I support her. Oh, Sherrod's in. Oh, interesting. So I think that support in polling will be very shallow. You know, the numbers that you read one week will not go to the next week because of so much you know, fluidity. Um, and basically what I worry about is people getting spooked by Trump attacking her on this issue, even though voters don't actually care about it. But what I think is that he will attack everybody on some issue. And frankly, if he's accusing other people of you know, wanting to raise taxes or being a socialist, and the worst thing he's got against her is some 30-year-old form she filled out while she's talking about student debt, bring down medical costs, you know, taxing the rich, you know, I think he'll be speaking past voters and she will actually have a field to beat him. Uh, at least every day, um, once a day, th- somebody writes a story about, oh, the Democratic Party may be moving too far to the left and yeah. abandoning its base and, and you know, making it easier for Donald Trump to get reelected. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on those, those stories? Well, just by your tone of voice, I don't like those people. Those people seem like very weak-kneed people. <laughs> well, I, by my tone of voice, I don't like them either. Yeah. I think it's BS, yeah. but um, I'm amazed how this yeah. seems to be a meme, you know, that media can't shake. Yeah, so a couple thoughts on that. One is I would actually encourage everyone, if they can, just avoid using the, the words left, right, or center. It is inherently marginalizing for progressives. People picture a bell curve and the great majority of the country being in the center. Mm-hmm. And if you're on the left, you're inherently on the fringe. You know, when the question of expanding Social Security benefits is put to general election voters and it's 75% say yes and 15% say no and 10% undecided, where is the center of the country on that question? The center is progressive, right? When by 71% to 19% general election voters want any student to go to a public college or university right. and graduate without debt, where is the center of the country? It's progressive. So if we call ourselves left, that's marginalizing, but also I think that people buy into that and they're like, oh, you know, if you're going in a populist direction, you're alienating them. No, you're not. You're, you're going towards the middle of the country. In fact, when you see that there's such a growing voting block of independence in this country, those aren't people who are political moderates or centrists. Those are people who largely can't stand the political system. They say, I don't want to be labeled a Democrat or Republican. I don't want insider deals among Republican and, and Democratic politicians. I want to challenge the political establishment. I want to take on the economic corruption that's out there. And that's why Trump was able to pick off some of those voters. Mm-hmm. If anything, that argues for someone like Bernie or Elizabeth, 
talking about big, bold structural change that shakes up the system itself. Is there still a place uh, in this um, Democratic primary or this new Democratic, reinvigorated Democratic Party, thanks to Bernie and to Elizabeth, others, is there still a place for a Cory Booker or Amy Klobuchar who seems to be going out of their way to say, no, 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 no. I'm not, I'm not that far left, right, or that progressive. Look, there's a place for everybody. But, <laughs> but I do think that we should differentiate between D.C. bipartisanship and Main Street bipartisanship, right? At a time during the health care fight in 2009-2010, when the New York Times poll showed that 50% of Republican voters wanted a public option, there were precisely zero Republican politicians who were willing to support it. So what does bipartisanship and getting along mean in an environment where Republican politicians don't even represent their own voters? When most Republican voters want to expand Social Security benefits, make college debt-free, create tens of millions of new jobs in the clean energy space, and Republican politicians are either bought and paid for or ideologically opposed to that, what does getting along with them mean? I, I think if Amy Klobuchar wanted to say, I will unite Republican Democratic voters, and then mm. she took a poll and found that Medicare for all and things like it are popular, we'd all be kind of going the same direction. The question would be, how do we get to Medicare for all? But um, I just think, again, there's a breakdown in the conventional wisdom about where voters are and what voters want. Some Democrats, um, whom I also disagree with, um, to, to, to the point of your endorsement of Elizabeth Warren, yeah. say, um, and I think they're still traumatized by what happened in 2016, that the Democratic Party, we don't like to say this, but this got to, got to nominate a white male. You know? Mm-hmm. That that 2016 voters as pundits, can't. voters as pundits, <laughs> people are like, I want I want a woman uh, president, but you know, yeah. just this time we need what? Okay, well, we need to convince those people. I'm a big believer in show don't tell, right? Again, I was in the room in Iowa for many events with Elizabeth Warren. I saw her captivate this Midwestern crowd when she laid out her critique of our economic system that was rigged, our political system that's bought and paid for, and said the words. This is corruption, pure and simple. There were literally people hanging from the rafters, mm. applauding. It was like the biggest applause line. They want a systemic critique, and she captivates that audience. I assume Bernie will, too. Um, so I don't want to debate people and say, oh, no, trust me. Like, just watch. Watch and see for yourself by Election Day who you think can win these voters. Well, so um, it, it seems to me that with a lot of Democrats t- this time, there, there's going to be, we don't know how many, 15 candidates maybe, right? And um, a lot of them are going to have more or less, there are variations on a theme, but more or less running on the same issues. If we have Medicare for all, $15 minimum wage, some form of free college tuition, climate change, whatever. So the question becomes, who is the one who can beat Donald Trump? That's what we really want, right? We want the, the, the strongest candidate with the most progressive message. Why do you believe that that is Elizabeth Warren? And, and we're, we're ready to endorse so soon yeah. over all the others. <laughs> so I agree that the threshold question among Democratic and very progressive voters is, can somebody beat Trump? And different candidates will have different theories of the case, but many will plausibly have a theory of the case for beating Trump. Um, Again, we Trump won in 2016 by railing against Wall Street speeches, railing against corporate written trade deals, promising to clean up the corruption. He was lying about all those things, but he tapped into something very real, which is this desire for systemic change, a desire to shake up the system. Absolutely. Right? Again, someone like Joe Biden, 
whose main value proposition is he can cut deals with Mitch McConnell, does not speak to this moment. It's like nominating Mitt Romney, who passed Obamacare in Massachusetts, to campaign against Obamacare. Wrong messenger for this moment, right? We need someone who is seen as authentically and consistently on the side of working people, challenging powerful interests, picking fights. A message of I get along with everybody does not say you're on my side when the fight is on, right? So we need someone who is not just voicing that, but is consistently seen as in the, on a gut level representing that. And I think Elizabeth and Bernie will pull away from the pack because of that. You know, there's also something to be said. What, what, for, wait, 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 wait okay, one, one thing. Go ahead. Something to be yeah. said for the difference between checking a box on an issue position and ha and leading the fight on that issue mm -hmm. and having a worldview for the next issue, right? If voters ask themselves, do I understand a candidate's worldview enough to reliably predict where they will land on future unanticipated issues, the next Wall Street collapse that nobody can anticipate now, that I think separates Bernie and Elizabeth from the rest of the pack, right? Okay. Right? So people you, playing catch up and saying, oh, you support that? Yes, I co-sponsor your bill is not the same right. as that worldview. Okay. Yeah, uh, several times here you've, you've, you've pointed out yeah. how, how Bernie and Elizabeth, right, are separate from the rest of the pack. Right. But the challenge here is to separate Bernie from Elizabeth okay. and to say Elizabeth is the better of the two. Not right. that you're saying anything negative about Bernie, but our goal is right. to win. Okay. Right? Let's keep going. Okay. So why is she the one we ought to bet on as opposed to Bernie? Okay. So one, in 2018, many inspiring progressive women defeated Republican men all across the country, up and down the ballot. You know, there was a hunger among our base, and I think Americans at large, for reflective democracy. And it would not be crazy for people who like both Bernie and Warren to say, you know what? Tie goes to that. I'm not saying that you should vote just on that. But mm -hmm. tie, sure, goes, goes to that. Um, having worked with both of them, I can say that Elizabeth Warren is the most savvy and strategic organizer slash politician I have seen. She picks her battles extremely carefully. She comes up with a game plan. She gets her ducks in a row. She builds a coalition suited for the battle, and she defeats the odds, right? That's how she won the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. That's how she's engaged on every fight. Um, I think they have different styles in, to some degree. Mm -hmm. I would also say that she is the only candidate in the entire pack that would enter the White House on day one with a network of hundreds of A-list heavy hitters in a network that she's accumulated through a lifetime of work who would be ready to enter the government and exercise the maximal version of executive power that exists today on the books on day one. If the question was who to appoint in the judiciary, in the Department of Justice, uh, that has powers to break up monopolies, she knows exactly who those people are from, from the states, people they used to work with. If the question is who to put in obscure agencies like FERC, that most people have never heard of, that regulate big oil and energy, she knows the energy regulators in places like Wisconsin or Illinois or New Jersey, because she's worked with them. When there was a 50 state, you know, when she needed somebody to replace her at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, when, when Mitch McConnell blocked her for that position, she's like, oh, former attorney general in Ohio, Rich Cordry, mm -hmm. I know him. Yeah. When there was a 50 state bank settlement with the big banks, she coached Kamala Harris and Catherine Cortez Masto and Bo Biden behind the scenes to negotiate a better settlement. She, she, she has that network. The reason we got Rahm Emanuel as, as chief of staff with Barack Obama was he came with a very small network. He didn't know, he didn't have his own crew. So it's like, oh, who's the establishment insider from my home state? Rom, who applied a 1994 mentality to a 2009 world, and his first instinct in the healthcare fight was let's suck up to big insurance and big pharma, right? Yeah. We can't have a repeat of, repeat of that. So if it comes down to governing, 
mm-hmm. strategically and effectively and having a posse of people who can do it, that's Elizabeth Warren. Uh, about an hour ago here in studio uh, was a young man by the name of Andrew Yang. Nice. He's a Democratic candidate for president. Yeah. If there's anybody who is more progressive than uh, or has ideas maybe to the left of Elizabeth Warren, I hate to keep using the word left again, uh, or Bernie Sanders, it's Andrew Yang. Without getting into his chances, what do you think of his idea of a universal uh, $1,000 a month for every American? Um Okay. Well, first, I, I saw on Twitter. I saw you you with him on Twitter, and I was hoping I would be able to meet him, but I didn't. I, I don't know much about his his positions. I look forward to learning more about them. But UBI, um, universal I, basic universal income. Basic, yeah. As of now, not not a huge fan. I think there's better solutions. Um, our organization does a lot of polling. We know what's popular. We know, we can, in good faith, tell Democratic politicians that if you campaign on things like Medicare for all, expanding Social Security benefits, a Green New Deal that creates tens of millions of new jobs, making college debt free. Those are winning propositions, not in the prime, not just in the primary, but in the general. Universal basic income is not in that same boat. Okay. People just perceive it as a massive handout. It, le- you know, a, a national job guarantee, which I think is a little bit more mainstream right now, um, is does a little bit better. And I, I think a wealth tax and funding something like the Green New Deal is even better than that. Be interesting to see if he makes it to yeah. the stage for the first debate, and, uh, yeah. and we'll see what, what everybody thinks about that. I uh, can't tell you how impressed I am with uh, with your work there at the uh, Progressive Change Campaign Committee. Congratulations. Thank you. At boldprogressives.org if people want to join. Boldprogressives.org. And you should join um, just based on the experience so far and the challenge we have ahead of us. Thanks so much. All right. Great Thank to you. see you. Thank you. Is the Have Bill a great Press Show.